Welcome you this morning. We want to uh, continue our class on core convictions. And um, as I mentioned, what triggered this class was uh, in conversations with people uh, who don't really have the history to understand uh, how, as a fellowship or as this church, we got to this place uh, to make an impact in a generation. Uh, the church cannot become like the world. Uh, we need to have a standard. We need to have a moral stance. We need to have a uh, image that we project uh, of righteousness and reflects God. Core convictions. Uh, and so there's battles that people have fought who have been here for years and paid a price uh, for convictions. Uh, conviction is deeper than a standard. Uh, convic conviction is even deeper than just a moral idea. But your convictions are what's going to carry. These are personal in life. Your convictions. This is, a, this is not just a, well, if I'm pursuing ministry, I need to keep a standard. It's something you believe. It's something you've paid a price for in saying no to sin and yes to God. It's a price you paid for uh, when family or people you know begin to challenge you or question you or try to uh, cause you to compromise. And so the core convictions, and this creates a culture, a culture of a congregation is critical to discipleship and to church planning and world division, uh, world evangelism. Uh, it's critical, the culture of this congregation. Uh, that means when people walk through the doors of this church, there's a spirit, there's a mindset, there's a culture at work in this congregation. When they get saved, that culture begins to affect them uh, and influence them toward God and what we believe is critical. Uh, this is true in your family. This is true of sports teams. We've talked about that. True of corporations. Uh, and so we have a culture here and we have core convictions. Uh, and I've been working through these <clears throat> over the last few weeks. We talked about redemption. Uh, uh, we talked about uh, preaching. Uh, we talked about uh, preaching brings conviction. This is why you have altar calls uh, is an opportunity to repent. Uh, the uh, and, and the church world, much of the church world has moved toward teaching. And by and large, teaching uh, does not carry the weight of conviction. Uh, we're, we're preachers of the gospel. We train preachers. We, and out of that, uh, the, out of that uh, understanding of con preaching, conviction, uh, altar calls, um, we've moved into the arena last week of church discipline. And uh, this is critical. It's, uh, as a parent, uh, one of the tragedies of life is, is two things. Parents who say, don't do what I do, do what I say. Well, that's stupid. The second tragedy is, uh, okay, that's one. That's two. That's three. That's four, five, six, seven, 27, 211. And you never, never means anything. And so it's one thing to say uh, that we have standards uh, and it's, or that we believe the Bible when it comes to discipline and et cetera. 
Uh, but you have to minister discipline. <laughs> Welcome to the kingdom of God. Amen. We've got a little baby up here and her toy went off. Hallelujah. <laughs> and so, um, uh, and so uh, uh, this is not something that we go around. It's not something we enjoy doing, but it's something that's a part of the church life. It's a part of the New Testament, etc. I might just inject before I forget about most of you have heard about the tragedy in Dallas. Uh, um, these five policemen dead, numbers wounded, and etc. And uh, I want you to pray against racism. Uh, I, I've lived a long time, and uh, the racial climate in America today is probably the worst I've seen since the Watts riots back in the 60s. Now, I'll tell you, God hates racism. I don't care if it's tribalism in Africa or if it's the color of your skin. God hates racism. Uh, we're all one blood, the blood of Jesus. Uh, and <clears throat> God help us in heaven if they segregated. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be something? Uh, uh, but I'm telling you, it's an easy card to play. I remember in Malaysia when the church was in turmoil, the card they played, he's an American. He doesn't understand us. Uh, and they played that card and split a church. And so uh, uh, bind that, it's a lie from hell, and, and maybe I'll do a session on it in this. That's not how this church was built. Uh, that's not how I'm built. That's not how I trust you're built. Uh, and that's not just prejudice against color or race, but uh, you can't prejudice against people either. I'm not talking about sin. But I'm talking about people have different personalities. Uh, you may be a cowboy sitting here beside a nerd, amen, or uh, a, a genius, who, who knows. Uh, uh, but the kingdom of God is made up of all kinds of people. But I don't want to get diverted. I need some uh, scripture this morning. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Uh, who will get that for me? Uh, Christian, if you get that. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Uh, who will get that? Garamol. Uh, Bill, 2 Corinthians 12, 21. Bill. Uh, Galatians 5, 19 and 21. Uh, yes, Michael. Um, Ephesians um, 5, 3. Nick, if you'd get that. Ephesians 5, 3. Uh, Colossians 3, 5. Uh, Billy, if you'd get that for me. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Caleb, if you'd get that. Jude 4, 7. Uh, who would get that for me? Yes, Jude 4, 7. And so <clears throat> we talked about the church at Corinth. We read last week... Uh, about their having to discipline this man. And the Corinth church was a church in revival. It was, a, it was a, my understanding, a larger church. Uh, it was flowing. Uh, they had gifts. They had a lot of things happening. Uh, but this man was having this sexual relationship with his stepmother. And uh, they wouldn't deal with it. I read that last week. I'm not going to read again. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. Uh, and so Paul says, listen, I'm judging this. I'm judging this and I expect you to judge it. Um, and I want to get into why and what's happening here. Uh, but uh, uh, moral laxity is one of the great tragedies of the church world today. I'll never forget a few years ago. There was a church here in Chandler, a quite large church. And uh, uh, the guy on the platform, I, I, I can't remember, he was... He was, well, he was living uh, with this woman. They were, they were living in fornication. Uh, and uh, he's on the platform. He's in ministry, et cetera. 
and the pastor was going to deal with this man. He was going to take him out of ministry. I don't know if my memory is correct, it was a number of years ago. He wasn't even going to put him out of the church. He was going to just take him out of ministry. And the church council rose up because this man uh, was very personable. He had a lot of family in the church. Uh, he's very gifted. They said, we'll put you out of the church. We'll put you out of the ministry. And this man was lamentating. Uh, my hands are tied. Um, uh, and and uh, that's a picture of, sad to say, much of the church world today. And so uh, let me just kind of get your mind. Why is sexual sin uh, uh, have to be dealt with in the church? Let me trigger your mind, anyone. Why, why do we have to deal with that? What's the dynamics of sexual sin? Alec? With that sin, Pastor, um, the demonic has a foothold with that sin. And so when you allow it in the church, um, it's like the demonic now has access through that person because with that sin, there's a transferring of spirits. And so you bring that into the house of God. Okay, a transferring of spirit. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? A transferring of spirit. Benny? It's the same way with like Jesus' spirit, God's spirit being transferred into us. Uh, the demonic has the ability to influence Okay. So you as a leader, if you know about a compromise, if you know about it and you compromise, you're basically saying, this particular area of my congregation, my life, you can have rain. And the Bible says, or a foothold or a beachhead, and the Bible says don't give a beachhead. Okay, say, there's another word uh, used in the Bible too, Carol, that, that uh, explains this, but go ahead. Uh, transfer of spirit. It's like bread. Okay, that's what I'm looking for. Go ahead. You want to add to that? Leaven. What, what does that mean? Uh, how many cooks we got here? What's leaven? <clears throat> Go ahead, Carol. It's leaven bread is yeast. And so a little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast in dough just expands and grows. And you can't stop it. Okay, and, and, and the Bible talks about this when it talks about sexual sin. It likens it to leaven. And, and how leaven, and, uh, and as Alex said, this transference of spirits, leaven has the, uh, this creeping ability. I can remember as a kid, uh, my mother uh, baked a lot of things from scratch, uh, and she'd have this dough, and we'd go to bed, uh, and it'd be a little tiny thing, and we'd wake up, and it'd fill the whole pan. And what had happened is that yeast um, in the night while we were seeping was permeating the entire loaf. Paul, different writers, Old Testament as well, uh, talks about this uh, as, as sexual sin especially. This is true of rebellion. This is true of other things. Uh, but sexual sin is, has this leavenability, this creeping, infecting um, behind the scenes, um, uh, uh, imparting uh, and uh, uh, contaminating and uh, uh, touching, infecting another individual. It'll affect a, uh, infect a congregation. Shetaka, you had uh, something you wanted to say? I think I was reading the Bible the other day talking about sexual sin because um, that was one of the things that was hard for my family is that when we went to churches before, we never really got committed to because they wouldn't, there was no like, the people in the church was just like, 
You were. Okay, I'm sorry. Were, repeat that again. One of the things that reason why my, me and my family never locked into churches, because I wonder, after I really got saved, how come we never locked into, I mean, we visited tons of modern churches because we realized that was one of the things, sexual sin, it was never judged. Like, things that people was doing in the church, it was, it was no judgment for it. So we was like, what's the purpose of going to church if they're no different than us in the world? Right. And then when you come into a congregation and you begin to see standards, and at first when you knew it's like, oh, man, it's not that big of a deal. But you realize if you don't judge even the little things, then they can wipe out a whole congregation of people. So, Okay. Um, uh, so anyway, you, uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Read know, that. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Okay, he said, don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, nor sodomites will enter the kingdom of God. Now, how plain can that be? Amen. Don't be deceived. And yet, from pulpits today, uh, they're promoting that that's not true. Now, 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee fornication. Uh, every sin that a man doeth is outside the body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. Okay, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. Now think about this. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against it. What does that mean? It says all other sins are outside the body, but this sin does something internal. What does that mean? When you read that, what does that mean to you? Anybody? Any theologians? Carol's on a roll today. Go ahead, Carol. <clears throat> Every person you go to bed with, you take a piece of them. So if you are just laying around, laying around with multiple partners, you're going to be loaded up with other people. Okay. You, 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 you take okay. part of them with you. Okay, there's something about this physical relationship that's far deeper than just flesh. Are you listening to me? Listen to what I'm going to tell you. It can save your life. Fornication, adultery, very safe. There's something far deeper in the spirit arena of life. This is not surface now. This is, not, this is internal. Something begins to happen to you internally and this has been by and large lost on this generation. So, so keep that scripture up there if you would, Whitney. George, you wanted to say something. Well, I was kind of the same thing. Uh, get, and also... It changes something fundamentally inside of you. It's such a core part of you that when you violate that, it's, it's more difficult for God to reach you because of all the other baggage garbage that comes with it. Okay, someone else, what does this mean to you? Renee? In other words, all other sins, he said, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality... Sins against his own, something happens internally. Go ahead. What does that mean to you? Well, for me, I think that um, I visit some girls in the hospital, and at least 90% of them have tried to commit suicide. A lot of these girls have um, relationships with numerous men, and 
time and time again, even when I pray, I think of even my own life before being saved, just that they're trying to place that man in the position of where God should be. And it's very hard to sit and like uh, listen to uh, truth and scripture and um, pray or even try to seek something else when you're putting man in that place. And I think that sexually that bonds something like you're saying. It's very dark and deep when it's not in marriage. Okay, Jeff. Our body's the temple of the Holy Spirit and when, when you do something, the sexual sin, it, the spirit of God can't dwell in you while you're involved in that. Okay. And now think of this. All other sins are outside. There's this external dynamic. But he says this sin is against your own body. Yes? It's like um, poison. It's like you lose a purity that was given to you. It's like God gave you this purity and then, like you were born with this purity and then when you commit um, sexual sin, it's like it just poisons that purity. So your insides or whatever was pure inside of you is not, no longer being pure. Okay. You, uh, uh, go ahead, Alec, then I'm going to make a statement. <clears throat> Pastor, God created sexual relationship between a covenant marriage. When a man and a woman say, I do, and they promise to live together through the good times and the bad times, the problem with sexual immorality is that it steps outside that covenant relationship and that that sealing, that, that covenant is not there. And it's almost like it, it does, it rips a part of you and inside of you, it rips it out of you. It, you were meant to be with one person, but when you commit sexual morality, it's like you sinned against your own soul. You sinned against your own self because you gave something that wasn't designed for that type of relationship. Okay, I want to I say it again. It's far more than just physical. Listen to what I'm saying. It's far more than just a physical release, uh, uh, just some kind of uh, satisfaction of lust. Uh, one, how do you have babies? How do you, I'm, I'm just asking, how do you have babies? It's not, not a difficult question. <laughs> uh, you have babies, uh, you, you create life out of sexuality. Man and a woman create life out of sexuality. So one of the things is you're polluting that which God designed to bring forth life. Uh, One I read many, many years ago, uh, you're polluting God's fountain of creativity of life. You're, you're, you're staining, you're, you're, you're warping, you're contaminating the fountain of life. That's, that's a deep thought. You're contaminating that which God designed to bring forth a living creature made in God's likeness and image. A sexually transmitted disease is an epidemic in America today because 
of promiscuity, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, etc. So, so you need to understand there's something about this sin. It's not like you got mad and said a curse word. There's something about this sin, and we've touched on that one. One, it's like leaven. It permeates. It's a spirit. I've, I've said for years, it's amazing to me. It's amazing. I can be dealing with someone with a lust problem. Someone walks through the door. Here's hundreds of people here. And a hoochie mama walks through the door. I know that, that dates me that term. And in all the places she could sit, where does she sit? By the person behind him, in front of him, or next to him that I was just dealing with, praying about a lust problem. How in the world do you explain that? <laughs> it's a spirit, it's a spirit, it's a spirit. So I'm, I'm, I'm warning you, uh, as your pastor, I'm trying to help you, this sin, there's, 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 there's internal consequences of your, your, your spirit, your soul, your mind, your emotions. George, you wanted to say something, and then Ron. Go ahead. Two verses prior where it talks about he who joins himself to a harlot becomes one with her. Yeah. Like in the, in the Bible it says, and, you know, and the two shall become one flesh. And that's intended, like, uh, like, uh, uh, like Alex said, for marriage. It's intended for that unification. It's, it's a miracle when it's in God's will. But it's like in Carol, too, it's like you take on a part of the, you become one with them. Yeah. You carry their sin, their stain, their stigma. You know, uh, you know, I just dealt with a young man before service and said, there's no shame in the word of God about keeping yourself from marriage. One, you don't have any regrets. You don't have any baggage. You don't have to compare your spouse with some other lover. You know, you don't have to worry about some kid being born out of wedlock. You've got to pay child support for forever. So yeah. just from a, the worldly perspective, if you take God's word at face value, it's perfect. And if we don't judge it, then we allow that, that the carnal spirit to permeate everything has been uh, previously alluded to. Yeah. And the demonic, uh, the strategy of hell is always to deface um, and to canker and destroy what God designed. Always. Uh, Ron, you want to say something? And then I want to get some scripture. I was going to say that. Over the years, I've noticed um, people that give in to that. See, I believe that demons are real. I believe that they are literal uh, disembodied angels yeah, of course. that want to live How many people. knows that? Demon, demons are real. Do you believe that? Demons are real. Uh, maybe you had one visit you last night. I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> but just read your Bible. They're real. Go ahead. But I've seen this pe people that, you know, involve themselves in, 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 and what they're doing is they're opening a door. This sin opens a door that allows that demon to come into you. And so whatever pervert, perverted uh, yeah. wicked demonic spirit that's in that person that's opened the door to come right, right. inside you right. it's it's like uh, you've just filled yourself with all kinds of uh, of horrible wicked nasty stuff yeah, yeah I, uh, and, let, um, let me give you some some uh, I've dealt with grown adults grown adults saved born again love God that deal with a spirit of lust 
They don't want it. They're not trying to entertain it. But when you begin to discuss with them, they were molested when they were small. More was transferred in that being molested than just some, that spirit of lust, that spirit of perversion that was driving. Uh, many times it was uh, uh, either an adult family member or neighbor, somebody much older. I'm talking about innocent young people, sometimes young girls, 8, 10, 11 years old. That spirit was communicated, as Ron said, and that spirit uh, took up resident in them, uh, and later in life they're having to deal with that. And thank God for the blood. The blood sets you free. Amen. The blood of Jesus cleanses and breaks curses and sets you free. Okay, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 21. At least lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of uncleanness, fornication, lewdness, which have been practiced. Okay, Galatians 5, uh, 19 and 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Okay, envy, go ahead in verse 21. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revilers, and the like of which I tell you beforehand. Just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How plain is that? I mean, how plain is that? Where's the debate? Ephesians 5, 3. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you and become, become it saints. Okay. Notice where covetousness is linked. That ought to scare you. If you're covetous, if you don't want to tithe and give and... Look where you're, you find yourself there. I just throw that in in passing. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Save that for the offering. Colossians 3 5. Uh, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you, having nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Uh, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Okay, put to death your members, which are on the earth fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, covetousness which is idolatry. First uh, Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, and so, so maybe just, uh, we got a lot of newcomers. What is fornication? What's the difference between fornication and adultery? Anybody? Just to make sure. Robert? Fornication is when you have sex up. Fornication is when you have sex marriage. Okay, so fornicating is when you have sex with someone you're not married to. God said, we read about eight or ten scriptures, you'll go to hell. Unless you repent of that, you'll go to hell. What's adultery? Adultery is do you have sexual uh, uh, practices with another one outside your spouse. Okay. Adultery, you're married and you're having sex outside of your marriage relationship. Okay, uh, what's the next verse? What We get Colossians 3, 5. Did we get 1 Thessalonians 4, 3? Do we get that? Judges 4-7, where would that come from? Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4-3, okay, Jude 4-7. Jude, Jude. Jude 4-7. 4 and 7. Uh, for certain men have um, crept in a notice um, who long... Verse 4 first, Jude 1, Jude 1 verse 4. Okay, get verse 4 first. Go ahead. Go for ahead and read. Certain 
Yeah, that's Your it. Sermon have uh, crept in a notice who long ago were marked out of this condemnation, ungodly men who turn to the grace of our God into lewdness, lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, verse 7. Um, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over the sexual immorality and gone after uh, strange flesh, flesh and set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, leave that up there. Here's Jude writing. Now think of this. He's talking about uh, what's strange flesh? Uh, sexual immorality. They've gone after strange flesh. Sodomite, beastliality, homosexuality, strange flesh. And they've set forth an example of suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Uh, and he says in one place, you're puffed up. You're not judging this. You should have been mourning. You should have been uh, grieving over this. Um, and so uh, you have to deal with sin in the body, and, and we've already kind of addressed that because of the leaven factor. 2 Timothy 4.2. Who will get that for me? 2 Timothy 4.2. Caesar, would you get that? 2 Timothy 4.2. Uh, Titus 1.13. Uh, Guillermo, Alec, uh, Titus 2.15. Uh, Titus 3.10. Yes. Uh, 1 Timothy 1.20. Who will get that? Robert, if you'll get that. And so uh, uh, today, there's this tolerance uh, that has uh, moved out of the, the world, the culture, and invaded the church. Uh, this tolerance, what does that mean? What does that, what does that mean, uh, tolerance? Pardon? Accepting. Okay, accepting someone else. What does it mean, uh, tolerance? Okay. Uh, anyone else? Okay, non-judgmental. You won't make judgment calls. You won't. Uh, uh. I believe that sometimes people start to think that God will forgive me, so it's going to be okay. Okay. Someone else? Robert or, or uh, my mind's going blank. Raymond. I think uh, tolerance is uh, when you allow uh, something uh, into your presence or into your house or into God's house. And so why are people afraid to judge moral sin? Bill, you had a statement. Why? Think about it. Why, are they, why, why won't the church judge it? Why won't pastors judge it, church council members, parents? Uh, go ahead, Bill. You had something. I was just going to say tolerance is uh, uh, you know it's wrong, but you're just willing to accept it and, uh, and overlook it. Okay, you overlook it, accept it, uh, compromise with it, um, uh, uh, try to build a theology around it. Lytle? Well, I think nowadays it's even changed more because when uh, pastors from the pulpit preach what's in the Bible, it's now trying to be made a hate crime. Pardon so me? I think now it's even, uh, the ante's been up because nowadays they're trying to make it a hate crime if you speak the truth of God okay. from the pulpit and in public. So people that want to be to keep their sin don't want you to judge it because when you turn on the light, the cockroaches scatter. Okay. So the whole point is that light, it lights just like zombies, it burns them. So, but you need to, 
It's a sin. God says it's a sin, yeah. and it's for your own safety. If you tell yeah. somebody your house is on fire, then is that a hate crime? Well, you yeah. said my house is on fire. It's actually on fire. Your soul's on fire. Now you're, you're, in, you're in danger of damnation to hell, and you will burn forever there. So if I love you, and, and I, God says to love everybody, we got to tell them. we got to warn them. It's that simple. And when people ask you, well, you're, you're being judgmental. No, God knows a lot more than we'll ever know. He built you. He built me. The Bible says this. So when the Bible says it, that's what I got to go by. Yeah. It, and and, and uh, very good. And so, uh, uh, so, so why, why is there such a stigma, so to speak, or a hesitance or an intimidation against uh, judging sin? In the church world today, now the world's something different, you know, the world's something different. Uh, Benny, uh, Jeff, Mary, go ahead. Just to make sure I understand what you're asking, are you asking why is it? Why isn't the church uh, willing to judge it today in so many corners? No problem. Uh, it, this is my opinion on it, and this is what I think it is, is the Bible says that Jesus came to bring the sword, division to set people against each other, not because he wanted people to fight in chaos. What he wanted was he's always been about separation, right? He's always been about... Yeah, I but, wanna... but why, why don't they want to do it, see? And I mean, so, so when you start judging it, it, it's amazing what happens is that Miho and Miha or, or Johnny and Susie, they have family, friends, and so what ends up happening is that, in my opinion, it's strictly about greed I think people, I think churches these days are money hungry. And I think also they don't, just don't, wanna, they don't want to uh, ruffle the feathers of family members. And they don't want to suffer the reproach of Christ, of Jesus Christ, which okay. as Christians we're called to do. Okay. Mary LeBlanc. I was just going to say, I think when, when, you, when you preach it, you have to live it. It when you stand up for something, it puts your own life in, under scrutiny. And people have to have uh, a life above reproach themselves, and they have to be willing to, to be that example themselves. And I don't know, I, I see the, the breakdown of families, uh, you know, by and large, is causing that difficulty for people to stand because they look at their own life and they feel that they are not where they ought to be. Or, um, or maybe they've maybe they've fallen, maybe they've sinned, and they have not either haven't repented or haven't received the grace of God to be able to stand again. But you know, in the pulpit, they the the preacher has to be willing to have a life that is able to be scrutinized. Okay, uh, that's true. Let me let me. I want to I want to we're running out. Of, I want to gather a couple of things together. But uh, one thing is they're afraid they'll lose people. What you said, yeah, they're afraid they'll lose people. Their congregation would shrink. Uh, number two, as you said, if you preach it, then you live under scrutiny. Uh, pornography, Pastor Mitchell said it years ago, uh, I've said as well, is the male curse, the curse on males in this generation. Pornography is a curse. Two curses I've seen in my generation active uh, pornography and bitterness. Those two prominent, you can preach on them anywhere in the world, practically any sermon. And pornography, one, because it's been made so accessible, so accessible, 
so easy. And so you have to build firewalls. If you're going to survive in the ministry, if you're going to survive as a Christian, you have to build firewalls. You can't flirt. Uh, you can, as I mentioned last week. I don't text women. I don't text the opposite. They may send, pray for me, I'll send back okay. Uh, they, Cynthia needs something about money sent to the field. I'll go back, okay, do this. But I don't, I don't communicate. Uh, you, you have to build the, uh, you, you'll never see me sitting in a restaurant with another woman and my wife's not there. Unless it's my daughter or granddaughters or something. But you, you have to build these fire. Okay, when we discipline sin, when we discipline sin, we're hoping, we're, we're not out to destroy people, we're hoping two things happen in discipline. One, uh, when you judge things, it brings repentance. Repentance becomes real. It's more than just words. There's, there's an agony. There's an embarrassment. There's a, a shame. There's a conviction. That's what, uh, same with your children. When you judge your children and discipline them, it, it teaches something inside. The second thing is this firewall. Uh, you go through something like this, the next time you're tempted. Listen, if hell tempted you with something that was successful in the past, mark it down, somewhere in your future, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit your radar again. And no matter if it's anger, jealousy, uh, rebellion, uh, whatever it is, uh, uh, but perversion, or somewhere that temptation is going to come. But if you've been disciplined, the, the, the aim of discipline is the, the, what you went through to survive that discipline and what you felt, all of this uh, left to mark a spiritual stamp uh, uh, on your soul and spirit that you immediately, no, I don't want to go, I, I'm, I don't want to go through that again. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and this, is, this, is, this is the dynamic. The same, with, same in the church. Uh, as, there's another other factor. We've talked, we don't want the thing to be a plague, this leaven thing. Uh, there's a spiritual dynamic. Uh, but as far as the individual, uh, it, it has this ability and this quality about it. That's, discipline is your friend. It's like you've heard me say, the altar, conviction is your greatest friend. Oh, to be convicted is wonderful. And the altar is not your enemy. The altar is a place where you can meet with God and things are made right and vision is imparted and all these things. And so discipline, see, and even parents today, uh, the whole Freud and all the, the schools have been pumped with this thing about, di they've removed discipline from much of the classroom. They, that's why they can't teach. But uh, Pastor Payne was sharing a story, if someone would get a microphone, of something that happened in Australia uh, with a young man. Uh, and this is the aim, and this is, the, this is what so many people don't understand. Uh, this is God's design and discipline. Pastor, if you could share that. Uh, when I got, first got to Perth, <clears throat> of course, the church already had a number of baby churches in the area, and there was a pastor. Can you son. hear him all right? Over here, you hear him all right? Turn him up just a little bit, maybe. There was a, um, <clears throat> one of the churches that was within driving distance of the Perth church um, 
had a pastor's son, and he was on the platform playing in, in you know, the worship team, but he got caught smoking pot. And um, I heard that he was not removed, that for some bizarre reason this guy's continuing to, to minister. So I first confronted the father, the pastor, and um, uh, we sorted that out rather easily, but his son was another matter. So this, came, this kid came to me, he would have been 17, 18 years old, with an attitude and just me being me, uh, the words I used to Pastor Campbell's, I jumped inside of him and punched my way back out. I just let him have it, both barrels right in the face. Who do you think you are? And just ripped into him. And he had this look on his face like he had never, ever in all his life been spoken to like that. So he went back to, to mom and dad, of course. And his dad, I don't know what he thought he was going to accomplish, but his dad sent him back to me. I guess he, he figures like a Matthew 18 thing or something, you know. So the next thing I know, this kid has got an attitude like he's, he's going to confront me about the way I talked to him. So I just loaded it up and gave him twice as much again. I just absolutely, and then I banned him from the property. I said, as a matter of fact, get off our property. I don't want to see you in our church services, music scene, outreaches, Bible studies. I don't want to see you on my street. Go away. And I just, you know, I said, I'm not kicking you out of your dad's church or out of the fellowship, but you are absolutely not welcome anywhere near any of our activities. And again, and again he just looked at me like, like I was from another planet. So for about a year and a half, that was his condition. Uh, he was not welcome at anything we did. Uh, he finally came to me about a year and a half later, apologized, asked if he could come to an outreach we were doing. And um, I, you know, I just gave him the interrogation. He said he was clean. I said, okay. He got saved at that outreach. Um, when he came of age and it was time to move out, he asked his dad if he could go to Pastor Payne's church. And then he asked me, would I be welcome at your church? And he uh, ended up getting married. And I was telling Pastor Campbell, what's great is he's my friend today. He's a great man. He's a great couple. It's like a different human being. When I think about this shaggy, feral teenager that I had to rip into. <laughs> and the man he is today, a pillar in our church, a disciple, maybe called to preach. Hasn't been a moment's trouble. Uh, it dawns on me that that when fathers don't do the heavy lifting, then pastor has to do it. But they're a lot better off if you, if you learn how to confront. It is an act of love to confront sin because that's what young people want. Would you give God praise? Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. We'll pick it up next Sunday, uh, part three.